0: I'm excited that you're here with us again this week. I'm traveling, I'm on the road, so if our audio quality is a little bit off this week, I apologize. I'm going to keep the introduction short. We've got a fantastic interview this week with Dr. Scott Law, so we'll get right to the interview. Thank you again for tuning in week after week to the podcast. It means a lot to me, and for sharing this with your friends and colleagues who are orthodontists. Let's get on to the interview. Dr. Scott Law attended the University of Pittsburgh School of Dental Medicine and upon graduating returned home to practice in Scottsdale, Arizona. However, his interest in dentistry was soon eclipsed by his passion for orthodontics. So with his family in tow, Dr. Law enrolled in the Jacksonville University School of Orthodontics in Jacksonville, Florida for two years of specialized orthodontics training. Dr. Law purchased an orthodontic practice in Killeen, Texas in 2009 and grew it into a very large and successful practice. In 2015, he decided to join forces with Dana Fender to form Smile Doctors, a DSSO, Dental Specialty Support Organization, which now operates 70 orthodontic offices across the South and Midwest. He is currently the Chief Clinical Officer at Smile Doctors. Dr. Law is an active member of the American Association of Orthodontists, American Dental Association, and Texas Dental Association. Dr. Law, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Lance. It's a pleasure.
0: How are things uh, down in Texas? You're not setting any heat records like Phoenix. You know, not too crazy. It was raining today, which
1: is fascinating. We were in the eye of the storm not too long ago. But yeah, it's calmed down okay. now. It's beautiful.
0: All right. What, uh, what hobbies and things do you do in the summertime? I love
1: uh, playing with my kids. That's, that's what keeps me busy. We're in basketball, volleyball. They're, they're training for sports and wrestling. So we have five of them, and we're expecting a sixth in about two weeks yeah so it'll be great wow
0: congratulations
1: do you guys do any
0: baseball or little league
1: you know we don't i'm from a baseball family yeah but we don't we don't play baseball
0: yeah yeah i mean once they get to be like 10 it's actually pretty great but the six and eight year old little league is is a is a pretty rough afternoon it is it's a hot long day yes yeah it's pretty it's pretty slow so good well Let's start a little bit with when you finished your residency and you decided to purchase a practice. I'm curious when you kind of went into that endeavor, what were the things that were important to you? What were the how, what did you want to incorporate as part of your office culture? Kind of what was your vision starting out back in 2009?
1: For sure, that's a great question. Well, my wife and I, Jessica, we'd always run businesses together. So we'd run businesses all through dental school, ortho school, and so we kind of had an idea, a little bit of uh, that that we wanted to make some money. We wanted to be efficient. We wanted it to be fun, and uh, we learned some we learned some hard lessons in running business together, and um and so we we didn't really know a whole lot about the orthodontic space, but just that we were bound and determined to make it successful. So we we came. We bought a practice shortly after out of residency. We came. Graduation was on a Saturday, and we left on Friday afternoon, so I skipped ortho graduation so that I could be to work on Monday because we had no money. We rolled in with nothing, and uh, I started work Monday morning at 8 a.m., and um, about two months later, bought the practice, and then we were ready to take over, and he was ready to retire, and it was perfect, so we just started up like that.
0: So, you know, obviously, when you when you purchase a practice, there are systems in place. But, you know, what were kind of the things that you decided you wanted to be known for? or What was kind of your vision for the practice?
1: Well, one thing we did know is that we were going to learn from others' expertise. So right off, I think within that first week of owning the practice, we had Piniche and associates come in. And that was the best money I'd ever spent up to that point. And um, they came in immediately and made some suggestions on the first day visit and and so by day two we'd revamped some of the office the TC room the setup and we were ready to go I think she was a little shocked that that we'd done all that that night to get ready but we were we were ready to hit the ground running and really really make some change and make it happen it was an old OCA practice so consults were done on Tuesday afternoons. And so we changed that up to where we saw consults all during the day, and and implemented same day starts immediately.
0: When you're when you're making changes like that, or or when you're trying to implement things, how do you communicate, you know, these things to the staff? How is was that a challenge to kind of bring people on board or or get people to buy into that? I think it's one of my
1: one of the things that I'm good at. I'm not good at a whole lot, but one of the things I am good at is I can I can really get people excited about something and I I can inspire them to a goal. And so we got our team on board and really empowered them that we were going to, we were going to make these changes. It was going to be better for, for the patients. It was going to be better for them. And, and that's how we did it. So we just set goals. We kind of made it public. We put, um, we, we made a little chart, uh, and put it in the back. And each time we would get a same day start, then we'd fill that in and then put money in the in the kitty and then once we reached a certain amount we'd we rewarded the team whether it was with a shopping day or a cruise or or something like that so we just we were able to change the behavior and um, I'll never forget we went to a study group meeting with my team after that and um, they were talking about same day starts in this study group meeting and my team was sitting on the on the table with me and they looked at me like with this shock in their mind when another doctor asked, well, how do you do a same-day start? And they looked at me like, is there any other way? Like, how else are you going to get braces on if not the same day? So it, <laughs> it, it it was really cool to see them see them change and really grab grab onto things that we had a vision for.
0: Yeah, I think that that's, you know, it sounds like you've got a real knack for that. But sometimes that's hard to take an idea even if you bring it to the staff meeting and, and you get the heads nodding and people buying in, sometimes these things kind of die when they get into the real world and and to to carry that momentum through and and to implement changes you know I think is something that that a lot of people you know find challenging
1: I totally agree yeah you have to you have to you have to somehow it's it's kind of guided discovery where they need to arrive at it or arrive at the benefits themselves where you can't force it upon them but but then you need to have them hold everyone accountable like we do it with our kids we want to have prayer and read some scriptures uh, each night or, or each morning depending on school or su- school or summer seasons and then um they'll remind you and they they want they want to be a part of it and they they kind of drive it so the same similar thing with the team
0: what are some of the unique things that you know you guys did in your practice that that set you apart in your community and, and got a reaction from from patients and their families
1: our, our main thing and, and really what we've done now especially is is our mantra is we love on people first and that's that's kind of our mantra all the way through so whether it's whether it's a patient coming in we don't we don't just see them as teeth or crooked teeth, we see them as as people and and especially with the team um, I met Dana Fender I met him around two thousand and twelve I believe, and this was at another study group meeting and uh it was very interesting so we're in there and it was one of those where you compare stats and everyone has to turn in their stats and um and so we're in there and ours kind of skewed the curve a little bit so they threw us out as outliers in in the analysis and so we're kind of looking around thinking well this is interesting um and so we just ended up walking walking out i hadn't met him up to that point but there were several of us that were sitting under a cabana and we just started talking and i i heard him talk about about business, about people, about these things. I really wanted to go and visit him. I asked if I could, and, and, and he graciously allowed, and I, so I brought several of my, my core team core team over to him, and I, I visited his practice in Douglas, Georgia, so it's a little teeny town in, in South Georgia and i saw the efficiency was running the attitude that they had just how just how upbeat and everyone was was doing their their thing and he had such a low stress about him and i was shocked my jaw dropped i was just i was just amazed at how that was going and i asked him i said well what is what is it how do you find your people what 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 is this this is really special what you have here and he looked me right in the eyes and then um and then he pointed right at his heart and, and he said we well, hire right here You hire for the for the love and i immediately i knew this is somebody that i want to get to know better this it really resonated with me and how i treated people and so i kind of i really tried to adopt that um i'd naturally kind of done it up to that point so shortly after we bought the practice um it was stiff as you can imagine it was an older doc loved the guy but he just he practiced the way that he was taught and as docs were kind of taught we grow up, even to this day, if it is to be, it's done by me. And and that's that's how we get things done all through high school, college, dental school. We we take it upon ourselves and we're the only ones who can do it, and we're the only ones who can do it right. And that's just what's driven into our heads. And so coming in, it, it was an adjustment to be able to to then delegate to the team, allow them some flexibility and some autonomy and in ways and just empower them to make it fun. And, and, um, I'll never forget. There was an assistant. Her name was Amy and Amy was trying to motivate a little guy to wear his rubber bands and, uh, his, his currency, he wanted to dance. He was a dancer. So, so I remember he came back, um, after having worn his rubber bands, he kept his end of the bargain. She, she said that she would have a dance off with him. So she ended up having a dance off in the middle of the clinic and we were, fairly new team at that point and so they ended up doing it and he was a good dancer and she was pretty good herself but she knew she needed to lose right so michael jackson's blasting over the over the speakers and she ends up she ends up doing a dance off and then finishes in a butt spin and kind of kind of lays out all on the floor and i remember the whole team looked over at me really fast like oh no what's gonna happen and uh, it was a it was a critical turning point in in our practice and in our culture. I went over. I high fived her. I high fived him, and just thought how fun that was. And it really then set the mood that you know what we're here to be ourselves. We're here to have fun and engage with the patients, however that is, and create an experience. And so that's that's a little bit of the culture that was brought as it, as it went on. And so when the when the team knew that that they could trust the leadership. To look out for their best interests, that that the the reason that we do and did things was for the the ultimate patient experience and for the betterment of the team and the overall organization. Um, people have a lot of trust for that when you when you have a track record like that.
0: You kind of hinted at this, and, and I'm going to dig in a mm-hmm. little bit deeper here. You know, as your practice grows, I guess one question I have is how do you how do you experience that growth without just increasing your own personal stress level and workload until it reaches just like an unmanageable level. I mean, at some point you have to kind of make a decision on, on you know, how to, how to approach that growth, right?
1: Absolutely. So I think early on I, I had that mindset where it, I was going to do all things. I was going to do everything. I was going to be the greatest clinician I could be. I was going to be the greatest business person I could be and just do it all. And my wife was extremely patient with me and just reminded me of, of you know, I, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so many things that I can get done. And I was beginning to become, as we were growing, the bottleneck of the organization. So everything had to come through me to have my touch on it. Everything had to have my approval. And it was difficult. Some things I was great to give, give some leeway on and others I, I, would, I would act like I would and then I would take it back. And so it just sent mixed messages. I think I, I I'm trying to be better and better as as time goes on with this, but I didn't fully understand my shortcomings and and everything until later. But um, we ended up growing that that practice that we bought. We grew it about about ten times, and so it was a monster. And um, this this was around 2000 and what would it be 2014, right around there. And, um, my wife was diagnosed with lupus. And so that was, that was a big bummer. And so she had a critical role in the practice and growing it to what it was and, uh, and doing a lot of the the business side. And, um, we knew that we needed some help. And so I just, I just, I was too cheap and short-sighted to kind of get someone who could really fill the role. Plus they really didn't know what was needed to fill the role. And mentally I wasn't ready to to give up some things and so we ended up going through a few people just because they had you know they had some letters after their name i figured that they would be really good at the job it was kind of a it was an unfortunate situation but we ended up going through some people and then finally i was i was frustrated enough that i wanted something different more than i wanted things to stay the same and so i was ready to i was motivated to change and i ended up hiring a a headhunter to help us locate somebody who could who could help us grow and resumes came and we interviewed several and then um this this one resume came across and his name was Scotty Hudsmith and um and the headhunter was like wow he his resume was was very overqualified for for what we were asking and um but he just said go ahead and interview him and set it up and so we ended up doing that the only time we could really line up a an interview was on a Saturday and we don't see patients on Saturdays. And so he came and, and saw an empty clinic and toured around and and, and we spoke and we kinda of talked about where we were at the time and we knew at that point we were big enough that we either needed to get really big or we needed to get small and just be competitive. And uh and just kinda of let let some things go and really concentrate down. And he he was wonderful. Talk to us and, and I could just feel in my heart that it was the right decision. And so we ended up, we ended up hiring him and it's been fantastic. What's, what's funny is he did, he did tell us, oh, this was about six months into, into it. He told us how he thought we were somebody else. So he, he applied for the wrong job. And <laughs> that, that morning of the interview, he was going to cancel. And, but he just said, oh, what the heck. I'll come, I'll come check it out. And uh, I'm so glad that he did. So he's currently our our CEO, and then um, we ended up partnering with Dana Fender, and so we kind of kind of bookended from Texas to to Georgia, and and that's and then we've grown all in between. Now,
0: I want to kind of scale it back a little bit, perhaps yeah. for you know our listeners who who I think face some of the same challenges, perhaps on a different scale. I mean, I think that there are people out there. Making a very good income, but feeling still kind of like a slave in their own practice. Uh, you know, I mean, I think there's people even making seven-figure incomes or, or, or more that that aren't happy because of the way that the systems in their practice are set up. So, so someone's listening and says, "Oh, yeah, this this sounds great, but but where do I start? You know, everything's just coming at me right now, and it's and it's kind of overwhelming. How do I get to a place where I have a little bit more balance in my life? That's, What's uh, that yeah. first step?"
1: Totally. So it's something that I lecture on. It's very interesting because no matter if, if you have multiple practices uh, across multiple states or if you have one or you have two, it's all kind of the same thing. You need the, need the culture and the drive of the, of the organization and, and that gets set by the leader. And so whatever I would, I would really focus on that and the, it sounds extremely cliche, but I would I would write a mission, vision, value statement of what do you want and where what's the what's the end, what's the end goal? What do you what do you want? And then from there start to organize. And if it's not your strength, then then get your mindset right where you can organize with with others. We were at a point so we our practice was in Colleen, Texas, and um, it's a it's a large uh, military town, and so. Right when we would get, this is early on, right when we would get a full team and everyone's trained up, um, somebody, someone would move away or a spouse would deploy. And so we'd have some changes in our, in our team. And, um, and so it was very frustrating and I continued to hit my head against the wall like, oh man, we just got a great team and now somebody's moving or two are moving or somebody's pregnant and all these things are happening. And then we decided to change and, and we decided to become the best trainers in the United States and so we went about it um, and I, I lecture some about this, but what we did is we just wrote down all the different things that we needed training on within our organization of how we did it so this isn't um, one of the, uh, an off-the-shelf program that you can grab it's, it's one that how we do it and so we delegated those away to the team that they would do and we used Google Apps for business so people would Um, take photos and and write these up and so how to how to place separators how to remove separators how to how to take impressions how to take photographs how to all the all the different things that that take place we begin to begin to document those and and that was really good to get everybody on the same team and i would say that our the number one thing that we did was our morning huddles and, um, people, I remember my friends just said, I was crazy to hold these every morning. We would have a half hour meeting and, um, they thought I was nuts, but, but it was, it, it, to this day, it's my favorite part of the day. And so we, it's, it's structured. We go over some metrics and then, um, we call it our awesomeness report. And we just talk about what happened awesome yesterday. And we encourage people to talk about, the connections that they made with the patients, the things that were said um kind words that were said to them, we take those as a team win, and so while well, one assistant may her may have heard that you know Johnny now has the confidence that he's smiling, mom's sharing these things or or someone got asked out on a date or or whatever it is in their life that's great we if if that one assistant held that to herself well that's it's kind of a bummer. And so, we share that in those meetings. And we also share it all for team members when we catch someone doing good. And so, it's just a very positive thing where after you hear all this, you can't not leave the meeting and then go and and high-five others and, and really be, be the best part of their day to steal a line from Leanne Paniche. But yeah, so we do that. And then and then after that, we would go over clinical cases. And so, we'd, we'd break down cases and diagnose and, and we'd pull up a case and show the photos, show the pano, and then just pop quiz an assistant say, what do you see? What would you do? And it's just like residency. And it's amazing after they see 60, 90 of these cases, how they begin to think in AP transverse, what's going on? What's the next step? How is it proposed? And, and it's really key to how we operate today.
0: Awesome. So when you, you know, when you get these systems or these, I guess, kind of instruction or protocol manuals together, then that's something obviously you're referring back to. I mean, you know, you don't want this to become kind of a stale document sitting somewhere in a binder on a shelf, right?
1: Absolutely. So try and find someone in your team or hire someone that's a fit for you. So. Some people are, are quick starts and they have all these ideas. Well, you can't just have be surrounded by a bunch of quick starts or else you guys will just come up with ideas and get nothing done. You need finishers that will see the project all the way through uh, until the end and remind you and, and bug you to to complete your part or or hopefully everyone's just pushing through where there's not a whole lot of pushing and prodding to get it done. But after that starts to happen and and the team is proud of what they have, it kind of creates its own momentum that way where, where it's continually updated and, and it's continually, we're, we're getting better all of the time. And to this day, we're always, while we have clinical protocols and, and ways that we treat specific, specific malocclusions or situations, or we do conflict resolution in a certain way. Um, we're always looking to make it better and we want new ideas and to freshen those up and just get better and better and better. So the team loves to have input. Everyone loves to to take emotional ownership of something. That's that's great.
0: Yeah, you know, one thing that I feel like I struggle with, I kind of alluded to this already, is being overwhelmed with you know number of things coming at me every day, and trying to sort out you know what what can I push off? What are the what are the most important things that are going to get me towards my long term goals? So I'm curious how you kind of personally identify in your life what's, what's the most important thing I can be working on and make sure that you're actually making progress on those things.
1: So I would, again, take it back to understanding what you do well and what you want done ultimately and, shed, and set kind of short sprint goals. Um, I use a few, few apps that are pretty cool. There's one called uh, followup.cc. It's an email follow-up. So if there's something that I send out that needs to be done, um ideally you want that person to follow through, right, and get back to you on the email or, or whatever the to do list task is. But if it's if it's not, then you can set a reminder for that email. And you can you can shoot back and say, Hey, can you update me on this? Where are we at with that? or and that's that's inside or out of, of the organization. But that helps a lot. And I think I've I've heard different ways that people do it. And then sometimes I'm much better than others, but when I wake up and I I I have my my time, my power hour in the morning, um, and I set the things that I would have to get done today or make progress on, um, it's it's very gratifying to hit those early on in the day and just check those off my list. And then, again, the momentum begets momentum, and, and you want to complete more.
0: Yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk yeah. um, clinically. You're the chief clinical officer here. Um tell me a little bit about uh taking pictures of every patient at every visit. What role does that play in your practice?
1: Oh, it's invaluable. Um so I remember when when I was in residency, we were told to take pictures about every six months. So oh, what, every every second or third visit. And um I got tired of looking in the chart and it, it was more work to try and get out of work, it felt like. So I was I just felt like, you know what, I'm just gonna take them on every patient, it doesn't matter. I only see Eight or ten a day, anyway. So it doesn't it doesn't. It's not too much. And so I started to take these photos, and I love to look at them and analyze the cases, and see what was up with them, and, and what what changed from last time. And so when I got out into practice, um, I we just started doing that. And I know we didn't implement it in the first month. It was probably month three or four. And there was a lot of oh, belly aching about it because the team. Just thought they'd be so far behind that, it wouldn't, that it, they couldn't do it. But, you know, after, after about four months of doing this and seeing the patients come back and seeing the changes, and we, again, showed the team the positive that it is to their benefit how much ortho they learned and how quickly, it's invaluable. Plus, able to get mom on board and get everybody on the same page and look, you wore your rubber bands. see how they changed or any anything that way it just creates again a lot of excitement buy-in for what they're doing that their hygiene improved or whatever it is that we needed to show on there it it has proved invaluable and now that now where we are that we're able to then take we have such a library of cases all the way through treated from start to finish that every visit has photos that we can then show okay for a for class two division two, treat it out like this. Here's how it works when you have turbos on the anterior, shorter lateral elastics, and just kind of Tom Pitts protocols and you go all the way through, you see how the case unfolds. And so many naysayers that join that join on with us, they're able to then see case after case after case that are successfully treated this way. And and it's really hard to deny that, oh man, yeah, you know, that this stuff works. And so um uh what I can do, I can send you a link on on how we take photos on every patient, every visit. And it's under two minutes. People think it takes a long time, but we have them,
0: we have them taken, uploaded, cropped
1: in under two minutes.
0: Awesome. Yeah, we can post yeah. that in our uh, Facebook group too. That'd be awesome. Oh, great. That'd be great. What, what other clinical tips kind of allow you guys to see a high volume of patients in your practices or the things that you do in, in the clinic that make that possible?
1: Yeah, there are. So just the way that we communicate chair side, I think is key. Um, again, it's, it's very much, uh, when Scotty came on board several years ago, one of the first books he had me read, and I think it's, it's a big one now within the, these Facebook groups is, uh, turn the ship around. And so it's very much, it's a leader leader where we empower others. And so the end doer, so whoever is actually putting in the wires and and doing that they they know what their job is and so it's our job to educate them so that they can propose what the next step should be and so as an orthodontist it's it's more of instead of us coming and telling everyone what to do it's it's more of an approval and so doctors in our organization have the final say on everything clinically but it's so nice to be able to just come to a chair as a doc and be spoon fed with where we are, where or what's the treatment plan, where are we going and what is the next step proposed? And doc can look at the photos from all the last visits, see the x-ray, look in the mouth and hear what the assistant wants to do. And then there's a teaching opportunity. And so young doctors coming out of school, it is, it is so incredible to be able to, to step into that and learn ortho so quickly from, from so many people. So we have just a great mentorship program where we review cases online. We review cases, uh, like, oh, we have an online uh, board, HIPAA compliant where we're able to then we're able to throw cases up there and say, what would you do? You know, when a, a doc can ask before going into a console. And, and it is, it, it proves it's so efficient clinically that way, but we just create those opportunities to teach and learn from each other and uh, to go deeper if we need to on the why and the patients, the patients love it when you're discussing them and their case and how, how we're, we're going to nail it. And this is what, these are the steps that we're going to take these over these next several visits in order to arrive at, at their, at their desired smile. It's, it's fantastic. So the, the person, one of the people that has influenced me the most on that was Tom Pitts. And so I had the absolute honor and blessing to work with Tom Pitts in my practice for, uh, close to two and a half years. He worked with me in, in Harker Heights, Texas. And so I think I ran, oh man, I ran maybe five or 6,000 cases with Tom and uh and i don't know if there's anyone else in the world that's been able to run that many with him and to see him it's uh, he was almost like michelangelo's david where he could look at a case and see see all the the hard structures the tissues the everything and and the malocclusion and see through how just just what this end result could be and i'd watch him do it and just learn and soak this up and it's really influenced what as a chief clinical officer or what what I do as far as the protocols that we've established and the steps that we take in order to arrive at the finishes that, that we're known for.
0: At some point here, you guys decided to to change your practice model to move into this DSSO structure. And I'm kind of curious how that all unfolded and, and what people really should know about uh, how these organizations work.
1: Absolutely. So I think that there is a lot. Uh, people are are very scared by these, um, and and I can explain a little bit of how how ours is set up. We always joke, uh, Chris Benson and I, that we we say if you've seen one DSO, you've seen one DSO.
0: <laughs>
1: and uh, there are so many. I, I don't know. I think registered with the ADSO right now. There's probably so I don't know, maybe sixty or seventy, maybe more than that. Um, different dsos and i think every one of them has a different structure we may be one of the only ortho only dsos we we knew we wanted to go that way we needed to grow and and um i was so blessed to have scotty come on board and his his knowledge and understanding of the of that whole space of how that works of scaling practices of of healthcare and regulation and I knew that that someone was going to do this. This is the way that dentistry has gone, and and I knew that someone was going to do it. And Dana and I kind of felt that that if it was going to be done, we wanted to be the ones kind of setting the bar for for how it should be and how how we're going to treat people that that we love on people first. That we clinically that we strive for the very best that we can. And and what's so great about it is when you take the business stresses, the admin burdens and trying to keep up with everything around from just all aspects of of running a running a practice that when the doctor is able to focus hundred percent on what we went to school for for orthodontics and, and taking care of patients it's amazing the level of care that we're able to deliver we'll often have people who are very scared um, general dentists will be scared about it when these transitions are made and and we invite them, we say, come in and watch us love on your patients. And um when, and we're very transparent that way with our referral partners and they, they really don't have much to say when we show, when we just show them all the benefits that this has uh, of how we can take care of the patients at a greater level. And um, it's, it's really special. It's, it's so special when, the organization is is my heart it's it's really what i've always i've always wanted things to be the way that i that i i get to interact with the team and watch them grow and develop and then kind of the generational impact that that has on their families when they go home and how they interact and the skills that we that we teach them with with communication and leadership and and everything it's it's just it's just such a special thing to be involved with i i pinch myself.
0: You know, I think a lot of people are skeptical that, you know, you could maintain these, these cultures, these values across so many practices. You know, it, it seems though that you have confidence that you're going to be able to do that.
1: You know, if it was dependent on me, I don't think it, it would be possible. But the thing that, that we've come to understand is that it's, that it's not about me. It's not about Scott Law and it's not about Dana Fender. It's it's about it's about everyone within the organization that once this is created, and in perfect example is when we go in and we we combine with another practice, say there's a retiring doctor that that uh that wants to retire and get the equity out of his practice, but he wants to still work some, when we come in, of course everyone is very scared. And so Uh, they're scared are they going to lose their jobs they're they're familiar with their work environment now what's how's it going to change what's going to happen and when we get to go in and we bring a team member who's recently transitioned uh, with us within the last six months and they're able to look them in the eyes and say you have no idea how much better this is with with the culture and how how they want you to succeed and grow and kind of the ceiling has been taken off of a local practice where we have Team members that if they want to grow into a into a management position, or if they want to grow into a regional trainer, uh, operations person, anything can can happen that way. And um, when our focus is on again, when when you hear it out of the mouth of the leadership team, and especially out of the mouth of the CEO, that that people are first, and and that we love on people first, it's amazing. The changes that take place, and and financial success always follows that. I think uh, we've seen other organizations that, throughout business and throughout healthcare and everywhere else, when when they change and the focus becomes on the money, they succeed in the short term, and then it it doesn't succeed long term. And so we protect what we're going for, and it's it's very very important to me.
0: What's the ownership status of the doctors working in your practices? Are they are they partners in some way? Are they associates? How does that work?
1: Yeah, so they're they're associates, um but we do have we do have some uh structures that that we're getting ready to implement that that will have us so in the end it, they'll be compensated as if as if they had owned their own practice at the end. And so they'll they'll end up with that it's it's changing just like medicine has where i think wasn't 10 or 15 years ago that docs it was very rare for a doctor to work with a hospital um system and and uh work under that but now it's very very rare that a doc would go out and work on work solo and so um i think dental is following that same way and like like I said before, it was just something that we wanted. We wanted to set. We wanted to be the first out of the gate. We wanted to be the ones to to set how it was. And and uh, there is absolutely no way I could have done it on my own. I I didn't have a, even the slightest clue of running a DSO or or a large scale operation. And put me head to head against another orthodontist solo practice. Solo practice, I I could do really well. But but growing a, a multi site Uh, scaled operation. It's, it's been such a blessing to have CEO, CFO, CIO, COO, um, just training teams, um, everybody from legal resources and construction management teams and call center teams and training teams and just, you name it, HR, payroll, everything in that way. It's, it's so nice to, to have someone who understands and who's kind of, steering that business ship and then who can come to us clinically and say, okay, how can we support you guys to deliver the best care for these patients?
0: What advice would you give to an orthodontist who says, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that, you know, industry can transition to a model where, you know, the doctors are not owners of the practice and, and I'm bent and determined to to succeed as as a solo practice owner. What, what, you think they would have to do to to continue to be successful in that model?
1: For a doctor to be in a solo model? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. For them to be successful that way? Um yeah. I I think that there will always be a position for that. Now how how large will will they be able to have their their operation? That's and it's all based on location again. I think um it it's absolutely doable. And but it's just—it's how hard you want to work for what you're getting, and I—I I think the tides are changing. I'm—I'm I'm not a—I'm not a doomsday guy about about orthodontics and the, the how everything's happening with Smile Direct Club and Invisalign and all all these all these things going on. I think that it just brings in a, a more and more awareness, and it's—it's just—it's but it's becoming more and more competitive, certainly with the digital age and marketing and. And customer service and training and and just what what you're up against. So I think location will be very important on those and relationships and we see that a lot of the very successful orthodontist solo orthos now um, that that may have multi sites as well. But it's it's usually based on their charisma, their leadership ability, and their business sense for for those that are that are very successful like that. I think there will always be a place for, for people like that, but I do tend to think that, that they would consider something like this because of the many advantages that it has for the patients and for the team.
0: Well, this is, this is fascinating here. It's been a really interesting conversation. Um, we're going to transition into this Express round here with our Good. Elevate Express 8 questions. We're going we're gonna to knock these out real quick, and, and then we'll wrap things up. I love it. Scott, what is your go-to treatment for a full-step class 2? Uh, skeletal would be a Herbst. What's mm-hmm. your standard retention protocol?
1: Upper and lower fixed and backed up with nighttime Essex wear.
0: Awesome. Who are your role models or your mentors?
1: Um, I would say clinically, oh, I really look up to, to Tom Pitts and Stuart Frost. And I think business wise, it's pretty special. I I really look up to um, my partners. I, I don't know if that's if I'm able to say that, but I would say uh, Scotty Hudsmith and Dana Fender. And then I also I look up to my wife,
0: Awesome. What's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? I love
1: adhesive. I think that's, that's a good one. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we're not pinching band. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, it's definitely true. Uh, what's the best vacation you've ever taken? Mm.
1: Costa Rica. Costa Rica was amazing. Loved that. Do you go with your kids? You know, I just went with my wife and we went with okay. a yeah, study group meeting actually, but, but we got some time at the tail end of it alone and, and uh, that's a beautiful country, great people. Okay, I'd love to go there. What's
0: one great book that you've read recently?
1: The Heart Led Leader.
0: Okay, do you, ha- do you have an author on that? I don't know that no, book. No, I I don't. I don't. Heart I, you know, Led don't. Leader. I'm gonna Google it real quick here. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Spaulding, perhaps.
1: How I think living that's and it.
0: leading from the heart will change your organization and your life. That's it. Okay. What bracket system are you currently using?
1: We use Damon. Damon Q.
0: Okay. In in all of your practices?
1: Yep. In all of them. Okay.
0: What is one area of orthodontics that you want to learn more about in 2017?
1: Mm, I think airway. Airway and CBCT. I think I'd, I'd love to learn more about that as well as developing uh, plastics.
0: So. Cool. Cool. Scott, this has been a blast. Very interesting interview. I'm sure this is going to be well-received and people are going to learn a lot. Uh, if people have any questions for you, uh, what's the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah, email's great. Facebook's great. Email is dr.law at smiledoctors.com.
0: Okay. And do you have any speaking engagements upcoming or uh, in I do. office? Yeah,
1: yeah, I do. I have, I have some coming up at the PCSO and Ortho Voice. Um, let's see. We do have some in-office courses as well. We do that uh, every six months or twelve months, or we'll invite in people who who are looking to grow as well. Uh, we see it very much that we want we want to help people to avoid pitfalls that that could that could get them into trouble and get the whole industry into trouble. so we we did one in February and and so we'll do one here in the future as well.
0: Well, thanks again. This has been a blast.
1: All right. Thanks, Lance. I appreciate all you do. This is a great podcast. Thank you.
0: Have a great night. Talk to you later. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.